So thank you guys so much uh, for joining with us today. We're excited about what God has been speaking into our lives. Um, it's challenging circumstances, of course, but um, God's with us. So a couple weeks ago, I started out the series and started talking about God's faithfulness and talking about kingdom perspective and how we can see uh, not just ourselves, but what we're going through, what's happening in the, in the crisis around us through God's eyes. I talked about remembering Him. I talked about uh, last week the fact that He is our peace. It's the only place we can find peace is in Him. Um, and this Sunday, I want to talk about uh, kingdom perspective and the fact that He is our hope. Jesus is our hope. Um, Karen talked about Matthew 21 as we kind of opened up this morning. Uh, this is a scripture very well known on Palm Sunday. It's uh, Matthew 21, verses 1 through 9. So I just want to read it as we kind of get started. It says, As they approached Jerusalem and came to Beth Bethpage on the Mount of Olives, Jesus sent two disciples, saying to them, Go to the village ahead of you, and at once you will find a donkey tied there with her colt by her. Untie them and bring them to me. If anyone says anything to you, say that the Lord needs them, and he will send them right away. This took place to fulfill what was spoken through the prophet. Verse 5 says, Say to daughter Zion, See, your king comes to you, gentle and riding on a donkey, and on a colt, the foal of a donkey. The disciples went and did as Jesus had instructed them. They brought the donkey and the colt and placed their cloaks on them for Jesus to sit on. A very large crowd spread their cloaks on the road, while others cut branches from the trees, palm branches, and spread them on the road. The crowds that went ahead of him and those that followed shouted, Hosanna to the son of David. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Hosanna in the highest heaven. So obviously Palm Sunday is in this, this season we talk about as we gear up for Easter next Sunday. Uh, this is commemorating Jesus' triumphant entry into Jerusalem. He had been private in a lot of ways, um, sharing um, tidbits, if you will, of the fact that he was Messiah. He was, he was leaning into it. He was giving hints. Uh, he had been doing most of his ministry in northern Israel, and uh, this is the first time he had come in in a big way. And so he comes into Jerusalem and makes this public. Um, he's claiming this picture of him coming in on the donkey. The Bible says in Zechariah, it's prophecy in Zechariah 9, 9, that, that the king is going to come in this way. Um, so Jesus was fulfilling a, a prophecy. He was, he was actually claiming his rightful place as the prophesied Messiah. He was, he was saying, I am the one that you've been looking for in no uncertain terms. And just to make it clear, when the Pharisees cried out to the people and said, stop doing this, you're blaspheming God, you're treating him as if he's God, Jesus said, be careful because if you stop them from crying out, even the stones, even the rocks will cry out in praise because it can't be held back that this is who I am. This is who he was. So this prophecy is really interesting in Zechariah 9. He says, say to the daughter Zion, see your king comes to you gentle and riding on a donkey and on a colt, the foal of a donkey. What's so interesting about this, um, Jesus rides in about 500 years um, from the time that this prophecy had been given that the Messiah was coming, the King was coming, the hope was coming. This is what this was all about. And so it talks about him coming in humility and not in power. Everybody was looking for a Messiah to come in and rescue them from everything around them, the world that was around them, the, the Roman occupation, um, the challenges of a fallen and a broken world. And they're, they're thinking Jesus is going to come in in power. He's going to come in on a white horse because that's what conquering kings did. And don't get me wrong. Jesus will come that way. 
The Bible speaks of that in the book of Revelation, that he will come riding a white horse and he's going to come with power and he's going to come with a sword in his hand and he's going to come as the king that has been prophesied for many thousands of years. He's coming that way, but that's not how he came then. And it's really important to understand that. Part of this is, is why this is so important is, is that when God tells us he's going to do something, so often we try to interpret that in how we would see it, what we would, what we would do and how we think. And excuse me, and we forget that what God is saying is this, that, that his ways are higher than ours. And that, that, uh, another scripture says it this way, or he is altogether not like us. And, and that's helpful and, and to remind us in, 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 in a huge way because the danger is that if we're not careful, we try to create God in our own image rather than remembering that God has created us in his image. It's not the other way around. And so religion gets this wrong all the time. Uh, you see this in, in when you study uh, Greek history, Roman history, all of the different major cultures of the world, Persians, every single culture created gods that were some semblance of who they were. Um, the Greeks were famous for, for creating gods that were, uh, basically they were the soap opera gods. They were always in, in, in affairs and always had emotions that would rise up and passions that were so powerful that they would just get everything in trouble. And that was what was causing every, all the problems in the world. So they had created God in their own image. They had created God to be like them. And that's a real danger. And this is why we have to understand, to understand God, we have to realize that we need a revelation of Him. We cannot create Him in our own image. We can't think of Him the way we want to think about Him. We have to think about Him the way He actually is. And the good news is He has given us a revelation of who He is. First of all, in Scripture, of course, and then in a huge way, He's given us that in, in, in the person of who Jesus is. Let me just read this in Hebrews 1. Uh, verses 1 through 3. It says, Long ago God spoke many times in many ways to our ancestors through the prophets. So Jesus is alluding to all the prophetic words that had come, including that the time that he was, in, in, he was speaking forward, that he was going to ride into Jerusalem to the day, as you, as you study the book of Daniel and the prophecies of when this was going to happen. It literally happened to the day. They could literally look on the day and say, this is, who, this is the king, this is when he's going to come, this is when the Messiah is going to show up in Jerusalem. And, and that was so true. And Jesus, because of that, many times had an opportunity to come as the king, to, to, dis, to declare to the world that he was the king before this time, and he never did it. And I always wondered about that until I saw this. And I recognized Jesus was, he was recognizing in this moment that he was the prophesied king, and this was the day he had to show up. It goes on, it says, uh, after these prophets, it says, it's now in these final days. He has spoken to us through his son. God promised every to, everything to the Son as an inheritance, and through the Son, He created the universe. The Son radiates God's own glory and expresses the very character of God. That's important. And He sustains everything by the mighty power of His command. When He had cleansed us from our sins, He sat down in the place of honor at the right hand of the majestic God in heaven. That's the New Living Translation. So the good news is we don't have to wonder who God is and what he's like. I've shared this story many times, but it bears repeating here. Uh, there was, there's a friend of mine that I've been talking to about God for quite some time. We've had, had a good relationship for a long time. And I've been, he, I, he knows I'm a pastor, of course, and he knows I'm a Christian. And so he, I'm sharing with him about who God is and, and his character and his nature. And I'm and trying to explain to him the gospel and all these things. And it, was, it, it wasn't coming across 
like I felt like it was. And so I prayed and I asked the Lord, I said, Lord, help me to share with him the good news, that the, that the gospel, the good news of what Jesus did for him without coming across as trite or religious or self-seeking or you know just an, wanting just another notch on my gospel pistol. I hate that stuff. That's religion. And I hate that. And so my prayer and my heart was, God, let me share what I've discovered about who you are. And so as I was praying, I felt like the Lord said to me, go and ask him, what do you think I think about you? I thought, wow, that's an interesting question. So the next opportunity, we, we sat down and I asked him that question when the, when the time came, came about. I said, what do you think God thinks about you? And this is what he says. He said, I don't know what God thinks about me, but I know his people don't think highly of me. And then he shared a story where religion had, had hurt him in, uh, in a big way. And, and, and so I got a chance to, to, to ask him again. I said, would you like to know? I mean, you know what God's people, your version of it. And I, I defended it because I know we can get it wrong sometimes. And I've done that. So I defended them as much as I could. And I said, you know, maybe they meant well and they did wrong. But would you like to know what God thinks of you? And he said, you know, I actually would. And so I got a chance to share from Scripture who God is and His nature and the gospel, the good news that it's news. It's not, it's not good advice. It's not something you should do to make God like you. God has already done everything in what He did with Christ on, on the cross so that He could come into our presence, so that in His, His perfection, in His holiness, He doesn't have to judge sin on us because sin was judged on Jesus on the cross. And so I got a chance to share that with him. And he, he told me as we left, he said, man, you've given me a lot to think about. And I really appreciate that. I've never heard that before. And so we, again, we don't have to wonder what God thinks about us. We have a revelation of what he said. And if you're paying attention, God would like to say some things to you and to us in this crisis that we're experiencing, worldwide pandemic that we're experiencing God's speaking in this. And we hear people with all these different opinions, uh, religious people saying this is God's judgment on the earth, and, and the list goes on and on. People saying that there's no such thing as God. If God cared about us, he would intervene. You know, he's left us to our own devices if he even exists. And so there's all these theories and opinions about who God is and, and what he's doing. But if you can gain anything from the story, the prophecy of Jesus coming in on the day that he was promised, that the Messiah was promised, is that God is, he's, he makes a plan. He has a plan. Even in this fallen and broken world, even when evil men do everything to disrupt, disrupt God's plan, God does something powerful and he moves anyway. He hasn't left you outside of the plan. He doesn't just give us hope for better things, although he does that, but he gives us a hope in the sense that he is our hope. Our hope is not found in what he can do he can do anything but he has a plan he has a design there's something that he's working and we can misinterpret it. it's why we study it's why we pray it's why we read scripture it's why we speak to god and let god speak to us so he can tell us what what he's doing a friend of mine has this theory about how god sees time and he talks about how god sees time like a parade he can see the front from the back but he's not left it to its own devices it's not like we used to use this illustration that he pushed a a tape in the VCR. Some of you guys don't even know what that is, but he pushed the tape in the VCR and he just let it play. That is not how God has done it. He has interviewed and he intervened and he's shown this in what Jesus did on the earth in the illustration of who Jesus was in the character of who God was, displaying the character of God. So we recognize that God can see it. Time is like a bubble and he's intervening all the time and we keep wanting him to do it our way 
And what he's saying is, would you listen to me and listen to my plan and what I'm already doing? And would you be the answer in the world that I have provided through the gospel? Will you be the answer to the challenge? That's why Karen was talking about earlier about praying for people who are sick, about about speaking hope in a, in a seemingly hopeless world. It's because, like I read last week, that, that people without God are without hope. They don't have a God. They don't have a purpose or a plan outside of this world. And so death is terrifying. So he called this a bubble and that the bubble, this bubble called time is inside eternity. And he, in time and everything, the Bible says, is in him. And so the only safe place in this crisis, the only safe place in everything that's going on, the fear with our finances, the fear of, of, of what's going to happen to us, what's going to happen to our, 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 uh, our friends and all those things, it, it becomes a challenging thing. And the only safe place that we can have, the only safe place we can run to is him. So there's an interesting story in 2 Kings in the time of the prophet Elisha. So let me just kind of set this up. It begins with a picture of, of absolute hopelessness. And so let me just read this out of 2 Kings 6, 24. It says, Sometime later, King Ben-Hadad of Aram mustered his entire army and he besieged Samaria. As a result, there was a great famine in the city. The siege lasted so long that a donkey's head sold for 80 pieces of silver and a cup of dove's dung sold for five pieces of silver. So that seems strange, but why does it mention that? It's talking about how bad it had gotten because of the siege in Samaria that they were eating refuse, they were eating trash, the head of a donkey that, that was not a delicacy, I promise you. It was not something anybody wanted to eat. And yet they, it was so expensive, they would pay that kind of money to get it. So things had changed. Famine had driven people to desperation and to despair. And so this story goes on to talk of a woman who called out to the king. So I just want to read it. This is in 626. It says, Then as the king of Israel was passing on by on the wall, a woman cried out to him saying, Help me, Lord. Help my Lord, O king. And the king said, If the Lord does not help you, where can I find help for you? From the threshing floor or from the wine press? And when we see that, if we're not careful, we miss the context. He wasn't, he wasn't saying anything good about God. What he was saying is, God is not helping you. And so if God's not helping you, what can I do? And so he ascribed to God. He, he painted a picture of God, that God was withholding his kindness and withholding his goodness. And because of that, you see later on, there's judgment that comes in his life. Of course, this is the Old Testament. So he ascribed to something that, uh, of God that was not true of him. It goes on, um, and it gets worse. 2 Kings 6.26, it says, Then as the king of Israel was passing, sorry, I'm, let me skip down to six, verse 33. Uh, and he says, All this misery is from the Lord. Why should I wait for the Lord any longer? So he, he, he gets this, this sense of God has brought this upon us. And we hear people saying that right now. Let me read some more of this. This is uh, starting in uh, chapter 7, verse 1. It says, Elisha replied, Listen to this message from the Lord. This is what the Lord says. So in the moment of misery and as bad as it got, as a matter of fact, that, that woman who cried out to the king was asking him for help because they had literally um, gone to cannibalism and that they had, she had to go back and read it. It's horrible. It's horrific. But it was as bad as it was ever going to get. And in this misery, again, the king ascribes to him something that's not true. And Elisha comes and says, this is what the Lord says. By this time tomorrow in the markets of Samaria... Six quarts of choice flour will cost only one piece of silver, and 12 quarts of barley grain will cost only one piece of silver. It seemed impossible. So here's, they're in the midst of this mess, and, they're, and, and the king, the leader, the leaders, 
are ascribing to God that God has brought this misery upon us. Forgetting that there was a king from another country who in his passion, in his desire for power, in his hunger for more, had laid siege to the city. We forget that, that there's a broken and a fallen world and things come from that. And that God, if we'll allow him to be, is the redemption story to every one of those challenges. And what we forget is he also wants to use us in the midst of that. But too often we join with the king and say, God has brought this misery upon us. Have you been guilty of that? Have you ascribed to, to the Lord, not greatness, but misery and, and that he's left you alone? Have you said that? I know I've said that in the past. So then the story shifts. It's really fascinating. Shifts to these four lepers who had been sitting outside the gates. They're already hopeless. They're lepers. They're not allowed in the community of Israel. There is no hope for them, and they're starving to death. It says, now there were four men with leprosy sitting at the entrance of the city gates. Why should we sit here waiting to die, they ask each other. We'll starve if we stay here. But with the famine in the city, we will starve if we go back there. So we might as well go out and surrender to the Aramean army. If they let us live, so much the better. But if they kill us, we would have died anyway. What a picture of despair. He goes on. He says, so at twilight, remember the story, Elisha said, tomorrow something's changing. The story goes on. So at twilight, they set out for the camp of the Arameans. But when they came to the edge of the camp, no one was there. For the Lord had caused, hear that? For the Lord had caused the Aramean army to hear the clatter of speeding chariots and the galloping of horses and the sounds of a great army approaching, even though there wasn't one. The king of Israel has hired the Hittites and Egyptians to attack us, they cried to one another. So they panicked and ran into the night, abandoning their tents, horses, donkeys, and everything else as they fled for their lives. And so these lepers go in, and they find everything prepared. Literally, the tents were still there. The fires were cooking. Literally, they had literally just left. And, 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 and they, had, they just abandoned everything. And now all of the spoil was theirs for the taking. And, and they began to use it. And here's what's fascinating. They said, this is not right. That we know this truth about how God has rescued us. And we're not telling the people in the city they think, now think about this, they were no longer under siege, but they were still acting like they were. Let me say that again. They were no longer under a siege, but they were still acting as if they were. And so they go and they get to tell the good news to the king and to the entire uh, city of Samaria. And then they go out and sure enough, there's so much that food has, has gone from being not even available, astronomical in price, for whatever was available, now to its, its less than it's ever been before in all of time. And so here's the challenge. We often see circumstances and we listen to the circumstances. We tune our ear to the circumstances rather than tuning our ear to God. And I don't want to challenge us. That is not what God's called us to do. He's called us to be the church. He's called us to be the light of the world. That means that in darkness, we must shine. And I know we have challenges. I know there are real issues. But what we cannot do is ascribe to the Lord something that is not true about Him. He has revealed Himself in Scripture. He has revealed Himself through Christ. And He has revealed Himself, if you've been walking with the Lord at all for any length of time, He has revealed His faithfulness to us. And because of that, we can have peace in the midst of this and we can find hope in this. So I want to close with this. There is hope. 
not hope that the government's going to take care of us. I'm thankful for everything that people and scientists and, uh, and, and people can provide. And I'm, we're praying that God would use them in huge ways to help in this crisis. And, and they are, and we're thankful. And Karen mentioned so many people who are stepping out, being the light of God, sharing food with people who are, who are struggling. And the kindness of God is being poured out in major ways. And it's only the opportunity is only going to get better. I can't tell you that I understand why everything happens because I don't. I can tell you that the only safe place is in the eye of the storm. In the midst of it all, Jesus is the only safe place. He is the only one that knows the future from the past. He's the only one who can tell me where the enemy is camped and how to avoid them. The story of that king is that he came to siege Samaria because he kept trying to catch Israel out in the open and he never could. And the reason why is every time he would lay wait and, and, and lay in wait for the army of Israel, Elisha would send word because the Lord would tell him where the king was, was going to sabotage. God can do that in us. God has done in that. He is preparing things ahead of time. The challenge is, is we tune our ear to the circumstances and not to him. So God has made a way in this crisis, not just for a little, not just that you could, the best you could hope for is something to eat, even though it's terrible and it costs a million dollars. No, that's not how God works. God is abundance. That's who he is. And so in the moment when they thought they were in siege, the truth was God had turned things around and he had used the prophet of God to speak truth, even though the people would not hear it. Even in their despair, God broke through. How much more in faith will he break through in our lives? He's the only one who can turn a famine into a feast and hopelessness into a celebration of joy. And he is the only one who can save me, both in this life and ultimately into the next one. So let's lean into that hope. Let's listen. Let's tune our ear. Let's ascribe to him greatness. Let's ascribe to him mercy. Let's ascribe to him kindness, that his loving kindness, he wants to pour that out in the world through us as believers. He wants to show the world how much he loves them. Part of that is laying hands on the sick and praying and seeing people recover. And they think, wow, God, you intervened. You broke in when the brokenness of the world was trying to take me out. You stepped in and you're above that. And that's what God's trying to show us. But we have to make a decision what we're going to do with what has been revealed. Will you trust in chariots? Will you trust in the hope of politics and the political world and our government and, and scientists and all those things? Those are wonderful things on so many levels, but too often they fail. But God will never leave you. He will never forsake you and he will never fail you. Place your trust in him. Let me pray for us. Jesus, we just do that now. We, we ascribe to you that you are the God um, who saw this coming, Lord, and we want to treat the scenario and the situation like the world. We want to think in terms of how we would handle it and what we've done and what the circumstances are telling us. But Lord, we must come back and see who you've revealed yourself to be, your, your pattern, your plan, Lord. Uh, recognize that you have a way that, that you do things that is different than the way we would do it. And so, Lord, we just... We just trust you and we tune our ear. We settle our hearts in you. Lord, I, I'm reminded of you being in the boat in the midst of the storm and the disciples come and wake you up and, and the only thing they could say is, don't you care? And, and the whole fact that you're in the boat with them, Lord, shows that you cared. And that in any moment, they had had the power to speak to the storm if they'd only done it 
But he said, you have little faith. And then he stands up and he does for them what he had been trying to train them to do for themselves. That he had given them power. He had given them the ability to be above the storm, to be uh, to, to overwhelm the storm with God's power and authority. And so, Lord, we lean into that. And we trust that you'll show us what that looks like in our own place, uh, Lord, in our own lives, in our jobs. If we've lost jobs, Lord, that, that we're going to not just get jobs, but better jobs, Lord. That, that this is going to turn into an opportunity that, Lord, everything that the enemy, your word says, is meant for harm. Lord, you turn it around and you make it work for good, good for those who love you and are called according to your purposes. And the, and the picture is, Lord, that, that, that we're called and we're leaning in, we're listening so that we can, we can follow out after you, follow hard after you in the moment. And so, Lord, we tune our ear to you and we settle our hearts and we listen for your voice and we will not fall prey to despair, Lord, and ascribe to you what is not true of you. And so often we ascribe to you what has been the plan of the enemy. Lord, you did not lay siege to the city. Some, something else, someone else did, but you did send deliverance to the city. And so, Lord, we trust that you're in the process of doing that. So we tune our ear to you and listen for how you're going to do that in our lives and how you're going to do it through our lives to reach people who don't yet know you. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.